welcome to No Challenges in Raining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, our first episode of 2023, and I am delighted to be joined for the first time in a while by NCR's Middle East and North Africa correspondent, Reem Abuleil. Reem, good to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? How have you been? Good. I'm excited to be getting to do NCR again. Haven't done much over the last few months working on the book uh, still, and happy to get to talk to you as well, and happy to have tennis on again even though it hasn't been that long i'm not going to australia this time a bunch of people aren't going to australia uh this year as it happens um but i do feel like there's still i'm still experiencing some long distance buzz i guess aided by this netflix show how about how about you i know you've been very busy the last few months outside of tennis especially yeah i'm i'm basically wiped and that's why i didn't make the trip to australia in the end because yeah i i had a i covered a lot of other stuff other than tennis and also I had like a full tennis schedule in December and I got to sit with the majority of the players. And yeah, so I figured it makes absolutely no sense to sit with all the players in December, then go to Australia. And then again, they're coming back to the Middle East in Feb. I was like, I needed a break. But yeah, I mean, as you can, considering I am awake at six in the morning, it's obvious that uh, I am following what's going on in Australia from here in Cairo. Yeah, no, it's, it's you just get quickly sucked into that sort of Australian time vortex that happened to me. I didn't really plan to, then I just was up watching United Cup and Auckland and everything else very quickly. In between watching the live tennis this week, uh, you and I were both also watching our advanced screeners of the Netflix show Breakpoint, which is the long awaited or within, you know, long awaited within the last year uh, since it started filming uh, Netflix show about the tennis tours. I guess let me just back up before we get to sort of our thoughts on the show itself, Reem. Like, I know you cover, have covered F1 as well. Uh, Drive to Survive was the obvious sort of prequel to this. It was a big, big success a documentary series about the Formula One circuit and tennis i think wanted a piece of that magic what do you what do you think about what the sort of if you can talk to people about i guess some of the background you know about the the way the show was conceived and what tennis was was hoping for out of it and what they did to make it make it happen well drive to survive which now i believe four seasons are out Mm -hmm. it it created this like insane surge in popularity for F1, especially with a younger demographic and especially in the United States, but but really everywhere. I think every single household I know would give an example of, oh my God, now my like my son is obsessed or my nephew's obsessed or my niece is obsessed. And and like even my sister, who's like my older sister, she's not into sports at all. She's not into cars. She's not into anything. Even when we're watching it at home, she would watch with us. Like it's one of those shows that for some reason, even if you don't care about racing at all car racing like it's it's just one of those things where they made it in a way that was compelling um it was kind of snappy like it was it wasn't boring at all like even people started becoming fans of like the team principals which is kind of their boring characters on paper at least like it's just the boss but Mm -hmm. somehow like even like one of the worst teams on the grid which is like Haas the the team principal of that team became super popular uh, just because he's like yelling and screaming at everybody the whole time. And yeah, so just it was one of those things where I personally watched it. I liked it. And I always, always saw that F1 was so different to tennis in every way, just the way even they handle the media and the way the drivers talk about each other in front of each other. And there isn't that crazy, like they respect each other so much because they're risking their lives the whole time. But at the same time, they don't mind trashing each other in front of each other, which is something that tennis does not have at all, or it's very yeah. rare. Um, and when it is, it's like very tame tweets that we <laughs> like to kind of pretend that it's, wow, oh my God, so much drama when it's like one tame tweet or something. Uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I always thought it was, was going to be very different when I heard that the same producers from Drive to Survive were going to do one for tennis. I, I knew that they had to deal with it completely differently. I think that one of the key things in general is like with F1, it's like just 10 teams, 20 drivers, that's it. Like tennis obviously is very different. So yeah, and not everyone's always playing the same events even, whereas like there, every driver is going to be at the same race and things like that. There's just a lot yeah. that's so different. Anyway, so yeah, I know that there was a lot of hype and there was so much excitement and we could when we were at tournaments and we'd see the camera crews and we can see how the players, they're not used to it, right? They're not used to having someone following them the whole time. Um, but I always knew that it would be a dangerous thing if people thought that tennis is going to explode because of this, just the way F1 did. Because I don't think 
I just didn't think that was going to be the case. And yeah, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> no, definitely. And and you're right. F1 became much more of a phenomenon, especially in the U.S. because of Drive to Survive. I haven't seen it, which I know is actually rare among a lot of people, including you know a lot of friends I have who are not huge sports fans, or certainly were not motorsports fans at all before this show came out, who have gotten hooked into it just purely as a TV show, and now keep you know varying degrees of track of the live F1 results because of getting hooked on the show. And I think that's the sort of formula that tennis was hoping. I mean, like, why not? You know, like, why, how can you look at the success F1 has had and not want to try to, you know, get some of that action on some level? It's very natural in that way. And tennis did a lot, and the governing bodies of tennis did a lot uh, to unite and allow for access. Like, all four Grand Slams separately had to sign on to this. You know, the ATP and WTA signed on to it whole bunch of players signed on to it not all players which we'll get to but uh, a lot of players did sign on to it and it took a lot of cooperation and some unprecedented access and there's like you know some locker room shots in this uh show that you don't usually see uh, a couple different things like that so they definitely on that side of it you could see that it was a a, a clear they tennis had high hopes for this i think tennis yeah and, staking and, and a lot was... on this in a lot of ways yeah and 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 actually wanting to do that in itself is a very good thing i think like yeah. just doing something different giving it a, giving it a shot opening access the way you're like something we don't see that in tennis at all so like all of that was great and i think that it, as an initi initiative it was good and one of the things that came to mind for me early on was also like tennis is such a unique and weird kind of setup that it's probably going to take the producers a while to even figure out how to like what to do with everything that they're capturing. Right. Like it's just the, the nature of it all and the different levels of tournaments and, and the slams and the non-slams and like, why, why is it a big deal for one person to make a quarterfinal, but it's a disaster for someone else. And like, why do they say there's a changing of the guard when Rafa's still winning two slams and Novak is winning the third? Like it's it was it was just one of those things where I felt like if I'm a producer and I'm not someone who's embedded in tennis the whole time, this is gonna be is this gonna take me a while to figure out what to do with it? Yeah. Yes, it's the first attempt and there's a second so basically what we got released and what Netflix is releasing in January is the first half of the season, which is five episodes each about 45 minutes long, I think, uh, yeah. that go into the cover basically the first half of the season. So there's two episodes about the Australian Open, one episode about Indian Wells, an episode about Miami, sorry, not Miami, Madrid, and then one episode about the French Open. Um, and so Wimbledon, US Open, and I think the tour finals at least will be uh, in the second half of the season, which I think is coming out in June or July or something like that. Mm, June, yeah. Yeah, June. Okay, so I guess let's get into the the show itself. This conversation will contain spoilers as as they stand. I mean, these are all one of the things about this, and I'll say this at the beginning. Like I was thinking it repeatedly, and especially right off the bat. Like, and I knew this going in, but this show, like I, like I was saying, like we were saying with the the penetration that F one Drive to Survive achieved, this show is not designed for people who are already converts to the tour who already follow tennis, certainly no one at all in our level, people who, you know, cover it professionally. Like there's a scene very early on in the first episode where they like explain how the tennis scoring system works, you know? And so that I think kind of calibrates on some level, like what, the, and it's just good for them to do, you know, for new audiences, because it is confusing or it's not obvious, obvious to everyone who doesn't have a background in tennis, but it does, I think kind of show who it's aimed at. So I want to say that early on and then also just like watching the footage you know every time they start showing a match i knew who won that match in advance you know there were no surprises for me per se and i do wonder how different the experience of watching it would be if you don't know what's going to happen when a match starts airing on the tv show yeah i, I, I imagine that could be significant it's a disclaimer that i think that anyone who's been asked to review this or given the chance to review this it's like a disclaimer i'm not the target audience yeah, and which makes it even more difficult for us to predict what the target audience would enjoy or not. Uh, we can guess, or we can try and analyze, or we can whatever. But ultimately, it's it's very difficult for us to just negate our entire experience <laughs> and look at this with a very fresh set of eyes and think, okay, I know nothing about tennis. Am I going to enjoy this, or is this useful to me, or is this compelling, or whatever? So it is a difficult. I think it's a one of the things is when I was asked to review this or just given the chance to watch the screeners was like, I think the better person to review this would be like a 
film review person, you know, like <laughs> someone who doesn't work in sport, basically, yeah. to watch this and, and or a kind different of sport, even, you know. Yeah, but I feel like even if you're if you you follow a different sport, probably you know some stuff about tennis as well. I don't know, but yeah, uh, it's it's a tricky thing to try and be objective about it. So all I can do is basically just give my personal opinion. Like there's, you know, like. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely like especially in the beginning in the beginning with the whole explainer thing. It's such a tricky thing to do to have an episode where you're trying to explain while also focusing on a character, which is Nick Kyrgios. Uh, And actually, Nick, that's the only episode where only one player is kind of the focus. There is a bit of Thanasi Pokanakas, but it's only to support Nick, like with the doubles and stuff. But like all the other episodes, you have two players. I have Matteo and Isla in the second episode. You have Zachary and Fritz in the third episode. You have Ons and Badosa in the fourth. And you have Felix and Casper in the fifth. But with the first one, it's only Nick. But it's because they had to use some of the time to to kind of explain everything to yeah. people. Like, what is the tour? What are the slams, etc. I will say just on terms of the explaining and, and also sort of we're too close to it. Right off the bat, I want to get out of the way for people who are NCR listeners that Courtney is a big part of this show. She's honestly she is... like one of the best things in the show. It's just everything. She's amazing. Like it's every, and I'm not saying that because she's my friend, but she's just so spot on she's in so everything. Good. Yeah. You can yeah. see how much, you'll see how much they leaned on her. Like how much. Oh my God. She's the second, like... she's the, the second line of the entire series is Courtney. So they have a, yeah. a bunch of players talk, talking and only Courtney. <laughs> in the middle <laughs> just because like even her voice and the way she says things just lends itself to this kind of stuff she was made for this honestly she's so good she was so good she is the backbone of this show like she is they clearly and there's a lot of what she says is like just sort of exposition stuff like it's a lot of just sort of setting things up and moving the plot along and she's actually a consistent through line and i will say having not i have not watched drive to survive like i said and i'm curious actually if it's the same if they sort of like narration or voices are done the same way in Drive to Survive. One no, it's actually find, very different. Very different. Okay. But one thing continue, I find tricky yeah. about this show in Breakpoint is how many different voices there are constantly. Like there are these this sort of disembodied like commentator or sometimes pretending to be commentator voices that you hear. And some of it was mash audio and broadcast audio. And some of it was scripted and re-voiced for Breakpoint. You can see in the credits and people like podcast listeners and tennis will recognize like Catherine Whitaker is one of the voices you're going to hear a lot in this uh, in this show. Um, not on camera because Courtney's doing some on camera stuff as well. It's like Courtney. No, and... Courtney is doing mostly on camera. Courtney right. is basically like Sharapova and Roddick and exactly It's Courtney, Sharapova and Roddick, like the three main voices. And Courtney's those... the biggest of those in terms of like frequency yeah. on air to on screen time. Um and also, no, for me, I get what you're saying about like, there's a lot of the time you're listening to someone and you don't know who that is. But honestly, that's just, I watched the show twice on purpose so that I can okay. properly. Yeah. So I saw all five episodes twice. And the second time, th- these things didn't bother me because I'm like, they need to explain to people. And honestly, all, all documentaries have that where they bring the same commentator to do like different voiceovers and stuff like that. So that doesn't bother me at all. Um, what what with with Drive to Survive they had two journalists who are throughout the whole show they they're a huge part of the show mm-hmm. and they had a man and a woman and the man in particular he sensationalizes everything like it, <laughs> it was like when Courtney told me she was doing this I was like oh I really hope they they don't ask you because Courtney does not sensationalize at all so she's not gonna do that <laughs> I was like I really hope like they don't think she's going to do that and they didn't obviously ask her to do that so it is different in that sense where like the the guy is always like oh my god this is huge this is unbelievable oh my god they hate each other what's gonna happen oh my god they just you know like he's too much <laughs> yeah. he's he it fits with the whole thing but like it's a bit different but for me personally the best three people in terms of input from outside the players were courtney roddick and sharapov because there were a yeah. bunch of others, but for me, the strongest three—they were great. I hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, they—they they sort of carried the show in a lot of ways, and in a lot of ways, I think they were honestly sh- more frequently interesting. And Courtney, and Courtney wasn't doing too much like opinion stuff. There was some of that, um, or too much like you know even analyzing. A lot of what she was doing was just basic explaining the facts and the structure of the tour and explaining the architecture of this of this machine. Yeah. 
but but when she did, there were times when she certainly mentioned things, and I think that she cut through. Obviously, <laughs> someone hosted pockets with her. I think her her you know voice on uh, things is is really great and insightful, and I think and it's very cool. People will get to see that. Um, I felt like where the show and this is going to get more towards you know critiquing, like where I feel like it felt somewhat shorter was in getting the actual players who are the stars of it, uh, you know, the named players, like we said, at the end of the episode to be articulate about themselves and their own journeys as they're happening. There were moments of some, but I don't feel like there were very many like memorable quotes from this show or like sound bites from the players themselves that, that resonated with me. And I, I think, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I also think now that I've watched it twice, I think the main issue is really trying to balance between always trying to explain to people what's going on and show them some of like kind of the glamorous side of it or like, cause there's just some random stuff in there. Like you don't need to see Nick on a private jet. Like it, it oh, a bunch of private jet stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. Like it did it. It didn't add anything to that episode uh, at all, but then you have these bits and bobs to try and make it more, I guess, cinematic or whatever, for lack of a better word. And probably they had limited time with the players. Probably players are not used to being like raw on camera at all. And all this factored into me feeling that there was crazy lack of depth with the, yeah. within, within each episode in terms of, for me, if we start with Dick, because that's, that's one that's so easy to that, critique. Yeah. Because for me personally, that's the worst episode. And that's not on Nick or anything. It's purely just the way the episode was done. It bizarrely focused on things that like half the entire second half of the episode is about his doubles run. Okay. Like Nick winning a Grand Slam doubles title is not as huge as they made it seem to be. Uh, And it shouldn't take up the entire second half, in my opinion. For someone who's so compelling for as a person who has like his his personality is just such a layered personality they did nothing to peel that onion like at all like they a lot of the times they would touch on something very interesting but then they wouldn't follow up on it so like there's a scene with nick's mom which we spoke about that like where she says he started getting so angry all the time and they were showing all his scenes of on court outbursts and tantrums and stuff but then you don't even get a follow-up on like why do you think he was angry like, that's a natural yeah. question to ask. Like, why do you think that was? So then you jump really quickly to something else. And then he would touch on all the racism he's facing, which is obviously horrible. But he, it would be like literally five seconds. And you don't it, get any more than, on that. I've had several people that racism mention, especially say, like, it was such a missed opportunity for the show to go deeper. Because he says, like, an obvious experience with a lot of racism. And it sort of sets up. And then you're expecting it to be, like, showing this. Because you can, there's reels of footage or certainly at least several memorable famous sound bites they're like alluding to or even even the tweets he gets can you i yeah because he recently for some reason he 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 replied to me or something like i don't remember he he showed up in my mentions quite a bit recently so because people hit reply so i'm in the replies and the amount of hate he gets is unreal like no one deserves that no matter what And and the stuff that people are saying is just horrendous. I was just blocking everybody. Like, t- not I went on a blocking spree. But like, these are even even if you don't have footage or things, just try and tell people what he actually deals. Because again, Nick is a multitude of things. You're showing the tantrums, and then you're showing what he's saying. Like with him, he's just saying, "Ah, oh, that's just my passion." Would you not be this angry? Blah blah blah. And I was like. That's such a superficial way of, of approaching Nick. He's so much more than all that. Like there was an entire scene where he's trying to pee and doping and he's FaceTiming with his girlfriend and she's like telling him, oh, don't show me the pee. And then she's like, oh, how many milliliters are left? Like it was just not again, like that could be a short thing. But like the, I'd rather not have that when there's other stuff that really is worth uh, talking about. Um so even like when his, I found that interesting when he was, um, when he said that I was drinking every night and then his manager horse said, uh, there were times when I would track his phone and go look for him the following morning and it would be before matches. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to track him down. That for me is very compelling. That was the best part of that episode. I think the, the biggest thing that's missing for me 
is how did you get to a better place, right? There is zero insight into why are things a bit better right now, right? Because they are, like, they are. Because he's saying, I used to drink every night and I don't anymore. But you don't even understand the transition from that to that. Because he would say, like, the first four or five years of my career were very chaotic. What made them less chaotic after that? God God knows. (laughs) It's a mystery. It it just struck me as being, for someone, like you said, who has layers. And, like, people obviously have opinions all over the map about Kyrgios. And a lot of those are justified in a lot of different ways because he's a complex guy, right? There's a lot of different things you can latch onto. And I just felt like the first episode and the portrayal of Nick in it was incredibly one-dimensional and it was just trying to show him as being like a rock star in some ways. And like, look at these crowds cheering for Nick and isn't he flashy? And he also, and then there was some quieter mentions of like his his past drinking and things like that. But it didn't get into a lot of the conflict, which I thought was there about like him versus tennis establishment, they didn't, there was a lot of telling and not showing. And I was especially surprised at the Australian Open episode because I remembered, you know, like after uh, Kyrgios and Kalkanakis beat uh, the top seeded Croatian team, uh, Pavic yeah. and Mektic in the, in the third round or something of that tournament, th- second or third round like that, um, there was like a confrontation in the hallway with them that I was waiting for this to show up and it never happened. And then like, you know, I think one of their opponents, I want to say like Michael Venus or somebody uh, midway through the draw, like sort of complained about Nick and insulted Nick or just said Nick was a problem and other people were pushing against them. Right. But there was none of that, you know, is he good for the game type debate, which I think is kind of, it's been played to death in a lot of ways for people who are within tennis, people who are not in tennis are not going to get that. They're just going to kind of get, look at Nick being cool and it struck me as just a incredibly flat portrayal of him. And he's a complicated guy with a lot of different with a lot of different things, you know, that journalistically could probably be brought up in an episode that we're not. Um, that's a different issue. This show's not journalism, and that's pretty clear. But yeah, it's uh, it, it just struck me as very flat and, and like a surprisingly boring use of Kyrgios by our standards, by people who know him and know how, what he yeah. can bring. This seemed like a real underachievement in Kyrgios. But also, let's say you don't know anything about him and you're watching this. I feel like you would be... That's how I feel. Again, because I know know him. It's different. Or I know him in a working capacity. It's different. But like, if if I don't know him a lot, I feel like I'm going to have a lot more questions than answers. I would be like, but then why? But like, he's really good. But then why? Because the beginning of the thing, basically, he's wondering if this is his last Australian Open. Does anyone understand why this 27-year-old might not play again? You know, like that isn't explained. His love-hate relationship with the sport. Like the love-hate relationship of the sport, which has been his thing from day one. And and it is a struggle. And it's not just because it's lonely. He says it because it's lonely. That's the easiest way to articulate it. When he says the thing about the sport is lonely, and that's what I struggle with the most. But there's a lot more to it. The the love-hate is not just about the... The loneliness, the love, hate involves so many different things. And and then suddenly doubles is the most important thing. <laughs> I don't get it. Like how how I think how for did this non- episode become about doubles? <laughs> I think for non-tennis viewers, like they might not mind the doubles thing. Like that's something that will but, throw people. But who then are, it's like, a false it's a than... false portrayal of this whole thing because they don't yes. care about the doubles. They care about it to have fun. And and because they ha- it was in Australia and like fans loved them and whatever. But like, that's not his life. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, that's not that's not an accurate, like, description no. of these people's goals or their like. But, but I, ex- I expected inaccuracy from what I had heard about Drive to Survive. I expected things like that, where certain things got elevated to where people in the sport did not think they were things. Like the doubles thing for me, kind of, as much as I was like, this is you know whatever, it 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 was just it was the lack of character development for me. Like I've just seen and done and read many more interesting Nick things than this. And I just think for a lot of the show, for a lot of it, I'm just not sure how much people will, and Nick being like the biggest, the biggest, loudest personality who they had is one of the featured characters on here. I feel like a lot of, at least for me watching this, I'm not sure how many of these players who are folk featured will prove memorable to, to viewers. You know, they just seem like with a lot of them, they didn't get them to be, some of them had moments for sure. And I think like my favorite, I think maybe your favorite episode also is the Badosa on Shabur episode? That is the uh, strongest episode for sure. I think. I think so. Uh, in terms of in terms of the person, in terms of like in terms of personal humanness, 
And even, you know what, believe it or not, when I watched this, when I watched it all for the second time, even the Zachary Fritz episode had several strong moments just from a storyline perspective. The the Fritz injury stuff, I think it's the best tennis part of the show. And and it's still important for me. It's not just about the tennis part. For me, the most telling line from all that when he, when they were telling him don't play because he injured his ankle like right before the final in his warm up. Yeah. So like the the his whole team were quite strong in their opinions about it. Like they're literally telling him you're gonna probably miss a lot of time on tour because you're gonna damage your ankle even more. Don't play. Yeah. And the line for me that was very telling was him saying listen, I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life if I don't play. Like, he's he's like... And for me, it's the risk these players are willing to take, not for a win or a title, but for not regretting, to avoid regret. Mm. Because he said, he said something like, I'm going to I'm gonna hate myself for, like, for the rest of my life. It's going to bother... He said it... Uh, he literally said, it's going to bother me for the rest of my life. Yeah. And and just because of that, he took to the court against everyone else's judgment. Yeah. Forget about the way. Like for me, the fact that he won wasn't the most compelling part at all in the end. It's cool. It's obviously a nice way to finish the episode. But like that's that was that for me was like, okay, like these these players wanna kill themselves just because they would be scared of saying, Oh my god, what if? Right? Yeah. And then the Sakari stuff was strong because when she was sobbing, like just sobbing, sobbing after reaching the final, not after losing the final, but when after reaching the final, she went and sat alone and her team were just looking at her. It was like outside an outdoor gym or something. I don't know, somewhere in Indian mm-hmm. Wells. And she's just crying, crying, crying alone. And I'm like, can you imagine like all these semifinal losses really weighed on her to that extent? Like she's just broken. <laughs> like it was it, that for me was a very honest moment as well. Just like all the all these losses in the end, and then she wins just one semifinal, and 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 she looks like she won a slam. That was amazing for me. I like that scene a lot. The stuff, yeah, the stuff that we don't get to see as much that was maybe newer to us was just these sort of immediate moments for some of the players off court, and we know what they're like, obviously in in abstract. But seeing you know Isla come off the court in the second episode after she loses her first round match to Bedosa at the Australian Open, that was her, so good. You know, that was that was one of the better scenes for sure. In there. And also, and... that was about how you hate they they hate themselves at the yeah. time, like the, the self, self how the self worth is tapped up in, Ex- in, in yeah. results. Yeah, and that's what I wrote in my piece. My piece is going up at like any minute now on the national, and and it, and I was saying like the the whole equating your self worth with wins and losses, and how you talk down to yourself because you see that with Isla where she's saying like it's like a lightweight against a heavyweight. Maybe I should just retire. Like. What's, what's the point if I don't believe that I can win? And all of that, it's like just talking down to themselves in this very raw way. That, that for me is a common thread with a lot of them because Badosa said the same thing. Like when she was narrating what she was thinking during the match against Halep in um, Madrid, yeah. she was telling herself the same thing. Like you suck, you don't, da, 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 you know? And it's just such a common thread between all of this. And I think that, the, in a way, one of the re- that's my explanation. The reason they maybe didn't go deep with some of these people is because the depth is all quite dark, <laughs> and there has to be a limit to how dark you're gonna get. I think that's what they're thinking. That's, For me, yeah, the the darkness was the best part because it's it humanizes them all, and I find it compelling. But I'm wondering if they're introducing a new audience to a sport that has so much darkness. Yeah, it's not a happy show. That's one of the main things about this show. Like, it's not really fun per se. This show. It's it's not. It's definitely not funny. Like one of the things that I sort of was struck by getting as I got into is like I don't think I've like laughed once in this show. Like, there's no like, there's very little like levity ever in this show. Like when Anz is on with her husband, that's like a very cute sequence uh, in that episode. And they're and they're much warmer as people, and even like Matteo has moments of being like warm on screen in his episode. That's true. The stuff even with his grandparents and stuff like that yeah, was at that, least like that part. That part was nice. But in general, the show yeah is dark, and it's a show that's largely about like thematically, I think, like about success and failure. And I think the way that and maybe they you're right, maybe they do jump around because it would be too tough. 
although I think this is a more compelling show, even if it is dark, um, you know, to show like the same player losing over and over and over again. That was one thing that frustrated frustrated me about it. I'm not sure if this is the same in Drive to Survive or not, but the episodic nature of it, like you spend all this time getting to know, you know, Nick or Mateo, and then you never see them again for the rest of this half of the series. Like it felt like there wasn't, you could have had, because the same players are at all the same tournaments, more or less. You could have had a lot more continuity. Listen, now we're going to contradict ourselves because if you do that, then you don't have enough time to zero in on a player. So you can't keep showing them everywhere. It, it's not a it's not a TV show. It's it's different. It's like, for me, Drive to Survive is, you can watch every episode on its own, more or less. There's rarely any continuity and it doesn't matter. But, but the episode itself has enough in it where you feel there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know what I mean? And I think with tennis, it's always a bit open-ended or sometimes. Some of the episodes were better than others in that sense. I think they, they always tried to have an ending in the sense of that's why next next episode had him winning a, a slam title. Three of the five episodes end with trophies. Exactly. You have, a, yeah. you have Taylor uh, winning in Zimaz and you have Ons winning Madrid. One of yeah. the things for me about Ons, for example... You have Patrick Moratoglu and Chrissy and all these people and Maria all talking about Ons and all saying that it's impossible to come from a small country. It's impossible to make it without the resources. It's impossible without the sponsors. But you don't have any insight into how she actually made it. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you're telling me it's impossible and she did it. That's amazing. How? Why? Yeah. And, and one of the other things... That, but- about one of the things they did with Ons that I liked actually, but maybe realize the rest. There's a, a short, like maybe 30 second sequence, which you have to do with Ons. It's talking about her, how unique her game is. You know, the drop shots, the slices, things like that. Sharapova has a funny quote about what a nightmare it would have been yeah. to play Ons. Yeah. But like for the most part, I feel like you got very little sense of actually like what makes tennis, you know, a beautiful sport. Like I felt the way they shot tennis and I explained tennis. Like I, I did not find it very easy to latch onto. Just even the way they show match footage, I, I but I, I it, liked... it, it did not relate to my rhythm of, of how I how I process tennis at all. I really like the match. It's one of the things I highlighted is that like I really like the match footage because the, most of the time they had the low camera angles and the more intimate kind of shots, and I like that because for us, if you keep showing those high, you know, high angle ones. Um, if if you're not if you're someone who doesn't watch the sport a lot, you can't feel the players. Like it's just these high yeah, camera one doesn't. I like that. I felt it made the show intimate. Ultimately, if you're not into tennis and you're watching, you don't really care if the ball went in or out or whatever. You know, you just want to know: Oh, did they win in the end? Did they lose? Did they cry? Are they happy? Are they not? You're not really gonna care about the stuff in the middle. I think that can maybe come later once you have fans that are hooked. And if it gets renewed for a second season, then that's a different story. Which again, with F one, like it kept evolving over the four the four seasons. But with this, I didn't think that the match footage was the most important thing in terms of actually following everything in the match. But I thought that the the low angles were great. I agree with that. Yeah, I, the angles and the actual visuals of it, I thought were were good. But just in terms of like tracking the the rhythms of a match or even the rhythms of a point, like they very rarely show like a a rally in in full. And I don't know, it's it just for me, I found it a little bit tough to, and it's also, I was not as, as dramatically gripped because I knew who won every single one of these matches, like I said earlier. So I'm probably not the best to sort of measure that. I, I liked, like, I liked the stuff when it was the the Berrettini, like the Berrettini Alcaraz sequence was, was very good with that match in Australia where he was up, Berrettini went up two sets to love and then Alcaraz came back and ultimately it was a final set tie break. Like that was that was done well, I feel. And the way they have the players kind of narrate those matches, they didn't do a lot of that. So when they did do it, I felt that that was an added value. It happened with Badosa as well, with Halepon. I thought that was cool. Sometimes I felt like there were times when I felt it didn't really add to the narrative. And sometimes I felt that it did. Uh, Felix and Rafa, that was a good one. Just like having ha- showing when Tony Nadal left the court. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cool. I I mean that that one was very Tennessee in a way as like I wouldn't even say Tennessee, but th- that was that was different than the other four episodes. That one was very tennis because it was about conflicts of interest, which yeah. are incredibly Tennessee. Uh, yeah. So it's about it's basically about Tony Nadal working as a coach with or a consultant. He's not the full time coach with 
uh, Felix Ojeda-Aliassime, and then it gets to the fourth round of the French Open, and Felix is going to play Rafa, and so and so Tony like sort of semi recuses himself from this match, um, and that to me was some of the moments where they had like just classes for a drama, like the personal family dynamics uh, were sort of high stakes, and that doesn't really have a payoff per se because Felix says he's like unbothered by this like if it was a normal quote-unquote reality show like it would end with like him deciding to part with tony and empower himself or something but i don't think there was really a payoff per se in that sequence but i understood what it was touching on no but also you have everyone else commenting saying that it's nonsense like that's yeah. that for me is the funny part like they had they had audio from i think the tennis podcast or something because there was david yeah. law and Catherine and matt and they were discussing it and they were appalled by the fact that tony gave interviews saying I want Rafa to win even though he's coaching Felix and he is coaching Felix he's not a consultant like he's he's a he is a co-coach that's how they consider him and like with um everyone out like uh Muratuglu also like criticized it so like they have all these different voices criticizing it and then like Tony's like sticking to his guns like I have my own principles leave me alone like so that yeah, and, Fe- and, Fe- and Felix wasn't bothered by it either that's the thing yeah. like the actual characters did not engage with the narrative that was being narrated but also it's it's weird did you notice at all how awkward a bit awkward it is between felix and tony you know like it's almost like felix respects him too much it's like i thought they had no chemistry at all it's weird it's like he it's not even just on screen it's like he gets so quiet when tony's around and it's almost like he i don't know if like you have a strict dad around and you're so quiet around him i don't know it was it was interesting i i'd never seen that like i've ne- i i'd never seen felix and tony in the middle of something like that so that was interesting for me and then for me <laughs> i laughed so hard actually there is one funny part the funny part is when casper rude wants to warm up <laughs> oh yeah and they're trying to kick him off the court because it's going to rain. they're trying to kick him off it's going to rain, but it's not raining yet. And it's clay. And he's telling them, telling the guy, why are you speaking to me in French? I obviously don't speak French. And then everyone they bring to try and help the situation just makes it worse. And he's just so frustrated. He's like, we've been fighting about this for 15 minutes. I could have warmed up. <laughs> See, that's the that was the kind of scene. Like, that scene had like nothing to do with the narrative at all, but was like very satisfying as just a, as a pure like comedy of, of I know. absurdity of, of that moment. And it almost made me wish, which is something I very rarely say about TV these days or movies because the trend is the opposite. But it made me wish a lot of these things were longer. You know, like they must have, mm-hmm. they were filming so much this year from so many people. And again, this would get, maybe get to a little bit of the space of having room to talk about more than one or two central characters uh, per episode and have a little bit more continuity. Like if there's occasionally like, you know, like to use an example, like, Kyrgios having a meltdown at Indian Wells or Miami, like you could show that. Maybe they'll show that in his Wimbledon episode, for all I know, later down the line. But like, well, a lot of these players up. are popping back up in the second half. But I genuinely yeah. don't think you have enough time to connect to one character if you're gonna keep crowding the episode with others. Like it's, it's not again, it's not a TV show that's scripted. Like it's different, um, yep. and it's also not one of those reality shows where you have all this drummed up drama, you know, like by the producers. So it's it's. I don't know. I I don't see it work if you have too many people featured in an episode unless they're, they're, the narrative is really connected. So, for example, uh, we've seen in the trailer for the second half that there's going to be stuff with Tsitsipas and Kyrgios uh, and their drama in Wimbledon. Yeah. So that's connected anyway because like it's the same kind of storyline. So I wouldn't mind if we have those two and then someone else as well. But because uh, I would assume that Ons is also... Ons I don't know if they were... I have to think, yeah. I exactly. To think. So I don't know if she would be in the same episode as Nick or a separate one. We'll see. But, like, that didn't bother me. I just think that, again, as people who we know these players better, we fe- I, we can see all the missed opportunities. It's so easy to spot the yeah. missed opportunities. Uh, in the second... Like I said, like because I watched it for a second time, the second time I appreciated it a bit more bizarrely like when i watched it again i was like okay like there was you i got a chance to really like focus on the scenes that i liked and the scenes that brought something you know um even just like with isla and and mateo even though it was very brief but just an example of how self-centered you need to be in the sport right 
where he's still in the tournament. She lost. She tells him she has to wake up That's at eight in the morning. Sense. Yeah, she she tells him she has to wake up at eight in the morning to do a live tennis channel thing from the room next door. I'm assuming they're in a suite or something, so she needs to be yeah. whatever. And and he tells her, no, like I'm I need to sleep, like find somewhere else. And then she says, I'm gonna tell them on air. <laughs> That you kicked me out of the room, and he immediately said, "They're gonna agree with me. I'm still in the tournament." <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was a rare that was a good scene to cut through, and also it was like an argument that seemed like they were not overly concerned about the cameras being there. As they happened. they seemed less concerned by the cameras than everybody else. Nick's girlfriend was constantly looking at the camera, like literally, she would look at it and then react. Like she struggled with that, I feel. But like, yeah, Ayla and Mateo were fine on that. One character I expected to have be a lot bigger part of the show than she was was Taylor's girlfriend Morgan Riddle. <laughs> I felt because I thought I thought because she's you know obviously be, became a bit of a polarizing person when her TikTok started coming out and all her opinions on the sport and how to make it cool and stuff and that she was on the Netflix show to me and she, they you know film like some stuff with her they have her talking to the crew and stuff and she's very much visible but there's not she doesn't do a lot in the show beyond you know kind of sitting in the stands and clapping ultimately and having a couple conversations that Taylor's kind of leading. I thought she'd be more in it. I'm just thinking of other people in there. I was surprised that Morgan was not in it very much, actually. Um, I don't know why she would be in it more. Like she doesn't like she she was in it enough. Like what what why would you want more of her? Well I'm saying she was in it nowhere near as much as Nick's girlfriend, I think. And Nick's yeah, but Nick but really Nick do doesn't have there. Nick doesn't have a coach. She doesn't have an entourage. Like Taylor has like four people yelling at him not to play. Like he's got Anacone sure. and other people. Whereas Nick, Nick, the only way you can show anyone around him is he doesn't travel except with his girlfriend and horse. So like, yeah, you're gonna talk to them a lot. Okay, fair. The other, the other sort of thing I want to mention about the show is that the show really, to me, and this is I think a criticism, and it's a casting thing, I guess, largely because they didn't get all the top players, and they ended up not getting really the relevant players for the most part, with the exception of Ons and I guess Taylor Indian Wells, the relevant players of the first half of the season. Like there's Djokovic, obviously, and this was, people were talking about this in, in Australia as it was happening, like, oh wow, Netflix is here and there's all this drama with Djokovic getting deported. They spent maybe 35 seconds on that at the beginning of the second episode. And that was it. That's not a big part of the show at all. They, Rafa shows up repeatedly because he's an antagonist of several of the featured cast at different times. He's actually, there's a pretty clear Rafa through line because Berrettini plays him in Australia and then Fritz plays him in Indian Wells and then Casper and Felix both play him in Paris. So he's there, but there's almost no Sviantec at all. She's across the net in a soccer match, but otherwise there's no mention of her win streak. They sort of allude to Barty's retiring in this weird way, which was not very accurate where they say it was like rumors about it during Indian Wells, which is not really true, but who cares? Like, and they don't actually show that sort of impact on the sport. So I thought they might, because when they're talking to Ons and, and Paula in Madrid, I thought maybe they would mention this player just quit at the top. It seemed like a, a chance. And so I feel like if you were a new person to the sport, and you can say whether this matters or not, but if you were a new person to the sport and this was your first exposure and someone asked you what happened in the first half of the 2022 tennis season, you wouldn't actually give a very good summary of what the season was about. You get this kind of like B cast to this kind of like, below the, the top line results for the most part. I personally don't agree at all, but I, I understand okay. what you're saying, but maybe because I did also watch Drive to Survive and it was never necessarily, Drive to Survive was always about who did we sign? Who, who, who did we sign to be on this? So in the first one, you didn't have Ferrari or Mercedes or whatever, but yet they managed to show all the compelling stuff with everybody else. And I think that made me not care. I don't care that who like Max Verstappen is winning or Lewis or whatever. They're showing me what the others are doing. And I think that's what, what I actually liked about this cast is that, the, again, who's winning all the big stuff? It was Rafa Novak, right? But those are not the ones who A, are signed on. So you're not going to be able to get like a lot of insight from them or anything. Just press conference footage, stuff that they're getting from tournaments. For me, they're giving me time with the others who all have storylines. And that that's actually what tennis needs, I feel. Because even a non-tennis fan knows who Rafa is, you know? With Iga, I know they signed her for the second half because Iga, Iga's in the second half, right? Wimbledon, yeah. She was, yeah, she yeah, was yeah. Wimbledon for sure. No, no, and also US Open and stuff. So, like, Iga, Iga's going to be in it 
later. But for me, it doesn't matter. That's what the show is telling us. It actually doesn't matter when you have an entire episode of Mateo and Isla, and Mateo basically makes it, for me, Mateo is basically starting the episode by saying, I wonder if I would already have a slam if it wasn't for Novak because he lost Novak in like three slam, three of the four slams the previous season, including mm-hmm. the final. But then he ends up losing to Rafa in the semis. So like he pushes through, pushes through, pushes through. And he also speaks about a bit of the insecurity of knowing that the younger generation is not going to wait for him. Like he needs to figure out a way to beat the younger ones and the older one, all that, which again is a good narrative. And then in the end, he still loses to Rafa. But I still found it like an interesting episode. Like, so I think that it's cool to show we have tennis has like a draw of 128 people in a slam. And literally so many of them have stories. Only one person wins. You can't focus on the winner. Then you're negating the sport, basically. You can't. Yeah. No, I, I honestly, like, I could even do with more of that even sometimes. Like, I just, I think, like, seeing Iowa lose first round, I think, was one of the most interesting results-wise parts of the series. Yeah, so that's why I don't, I, I don't care about who's the protagonist of the tennis season in terms of, oh, Rafa won whatever he was undefeated i mean they didn't mention it but like he was undefeated all the way until indian wells and whatever although they did show him like they even even when nick was out of the picture and everything they did still and mateo lost they did show that rafa beat medvedev in the final and uh, rafa so, they showed rafa, rafa got airtime for sure yeah but like for me it's it's not about that it's you, you can't go and tell people unless you have brilliant access to them which you don't you 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 can't like i don't i don't know i feel like they did the best they could with the cast in terms of just choosing people who they they all have stories but it's what they didn't do a good job at is actually the proper narration of these people's stories but there's potential for me that's my takeaway from all this there's potential that's my hope if they didn't tap into everything with Kyrgios now I hope that in whatever episode he's going to be in the second half they can same with Ons Ons made two more slam two slam finals in the second half if they're going to be able to to show a little bit like how did you do it without the money what did you do like how did you get what you know if if they tap into that then that's interesting you know the or the whole weight of First African, first Arab. What does that actually mean? Like they said it very briefly, but how does that translate into pressure on her? You know, uh, bring the sports psychologist. She always talks about how, like, she told Ons to embrace the whole being the first ever. This isn't these kind of things. You know, like again, stuff that we know personally, but I guess the producers didn't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that that's the kind of thing. Like, I do think where for me where it fell short a lot was on the storytelling side. Maybe that's just as a writer you know, that's what's, that's what I most care about, maybe disproportionately, and I'm less sort of, and I also already know the machinery of the tour, and I know how players, you know, can take losses hard, and I think some of the ways they articulated that in those scenes of the immediate loss reactions were, were strong uh, moments, but yeah, for me, just sort of, there were some missed storytelling opportunities, and I didn't, and there was not, for me, any continuity between episodes, really, that I just found a little bit jarring, like a reset, like kind of starting from zero almost every time, in a way that I found um but tennis is also like that but actually come to think about it tennis is also like that it is but you but but i would have liked to see actually maybe a smaller cast even you know instead of having nine characters in this uh episode and these you know five episodes maybe have six and have some of them show up more than one episode like i I would hope for example maybe ons is in both wimbledon episode and the u.s open episode in the second half like why not well, we'll see. I mean, we still there's still a lot more people they're gonna show because there's Alcaraz and Seafo. There's even yeah, Sloan. Yeah. I didn't even know Sloan was in it. I I only realized now when they saw they, I, they showed her in a clip. I don't know how big yeah. she's gonna be in it, but she is in it. Um, so there's quite a a bunch of people like Tsitsipas. We still haven't seen him properly. So like there's Sabalenka gonna be, hasn't been in it at all. And Sabalenka, yeah, not yet as well. So Iga, Alcara, Sabalenka, Tiafo. There's still a bunch of them, but like, yeah, for me, I don't mind about that. I'm just, I just really hope that if we are gonna revisit a character, like just try and dig a bit deeper because, I mean, use your access. Like they're giving you a lot of, but again, there could be resistance from players. I mean, I know that when I spoke to Casper in Abu Dhabi about this. Casper was like, 
from the beginning, I agreed to be on it, but I told them I'm not going to bring them into my hotel room or my home or things like that. I just want to keep it professional, which is very Casper. But like, mm. it, the, I know that a lot of the players wanted to put certain boundaries. So maybe it's, when we talk about Nick, for example, maybe he just doesn't want to talk about this other stuff. So yeah, who maybe. Knows? maybe. I, and I also wonder, I don't know in terms of, like I said, use the journalism word before, I don't know how much editorial control the tours had over that. I was wondering that during the Nick episode, because it just struck me as being sanitized at a lot of points with Nick mm. in a certain way. And I was wondering where that came from, that, that instinct. And we didn't see much. Like we saw one second of Craig Tiley during the, the Novak stuff with deportation and whatever. So like probably they captured more, way more than that, but maybe Australian Open just didn't want them to show any of that stuff. Yeah, that could be exactly, which is a loss because, you know, documentaries that are controlled by the subjects are less interesting inherently. So that's always going to be a push and pull there. Yeah. But Reem, I guess in sort of wrap up, like would you recommend this people and what should people expect? This is obviously a mostly tennis fan audience we have on the podcast. Um, what, how should people calibrate their, their expectations for this show? I think in general, just because we have so little of this kind of content, like even the stuff that the tours put out, it's always, honestly, I don't mean to be rude, but a lot of it is so lame. Like it's just so lame with no insight. They're very short. They're all giggles. You don't really get much insight from the stuff coming out from the tours. And then unless like the, the, the broadcaster that you watch your tennis on, depending on the country you're in, most of the time, like for example, BN doesn't show anything insightful at all. Like it would, it would just buy the packages from WTA and ATP, whatever they're putting out. They just buy it from Tennis TV, whatever, and they just put it. So maybe Tennis Channel is not like that. Maybe you see more stuff with ESPN. I don't know. I don't have that where I live. But like, I think in general, there's such a lack of this kind of content in tennis that I think tennis fans are going to enjoy it anyway, just because it's more than anything they've ever seen. What I would just tell people is that if you know so much about these players, don't don't waste your time just yelling at the screen that they didn't touch on this, this or this, because that's happening. <laughs> that is happening a lot in this show where like you feel that there's a lot that they could have discussed and wasn't discussed. So, yeah, I think people should watch because honestly, I was so curious to watch it. Like I and again, I watched it twice. Like, did I did I find a lot of parts of it was boring? Parts of it I felt didn't bring any added value. Parts of it I found interesting. And I guess it's a mixed bag. And I think it's going to get better. Like, that's what I was telling you in the beginning. Like, I think that especially with the Australia episode, that was the first time they were like, there was a crew on the ground and they're chasing around players and stuff. I think that they weren't sure what they were getting themselves into. And I think it's probably going to get stronger as the season progresses. That's my hope. And that's right. And I would say also in the Australia episode, the first Australia episode, because there's two Australia episodes, which is unique among the tournaments. If you don't, if, you, if if Curious is not your flavor, you can skip that episode and you won't miss anything. That's one of the positives, I guess, of this, of the very It's, it's great, the actually. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you don't have you to. Don't you, don't need have to, to. If, you can just go to, straight to your fave. If you have a fave, if you're a big Bedosa fan or Shabur or Sakari, whoever, just go straight to their episode and start with them and you narratively will be fine. Um, I mean, is, again, I, I, I wish I like I wish there was more of a serialization of it, but I, there are benefits there not being it. Yeah. I mean, if you want someone to be like, oh, you don't know that Tony Nadal was no longer coaching Rafa and I was coaching someone else and they had to play each other. Go watch that episode. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I feel like I didn't give enough credit to Paula Badosa, who was very, very strong. In I agree. Her stuff. I, think she's the, I think she's the MVP, actually, of the, of the nine. She is probably the MVP. She she narrates her own story very well, which, again, is something I know we always say that not every player can narrate their own story yeah. properly. It's not always easy, but she's very good at that. And she's so open and vulnerable. And the best scene for me of the whole show is when she's telling her team, I go from feeling that I'm at home on court to immediately feeling, get me out of here, I want to die. And like it's that line just shows how quickly someone can slip into the darkness in this sport. Yeah. Obviously, people react differently. I also really liked when Sharapova, because it says everything about why Sharapova was a champion, in that her saying, that's the point of sport is that it 
breaks you like i'm not i'm paraphrasing now but she was basically saying in this sport you lose way more than you win which was common theme in a lot of the episodes in general a lot of the players said that but Sharapova was saying but you need to figure out a way for that not to break you and you need to figure out a way to go through that and and, and with maria you really believe her because like for her this is she's like this is the point of sport like this is how she understands it uh so not everyone can be like that. Not everyone can be able to deal with that. And Badosa was very, very strong in her episode, just talking about all that. Yeah. And even her coach, I love that her coach told her, then we stop. You take a break. Like, we're not going to push you. If it gets that bad, we stop, take a break. And then she immediately says, but then if there's a 1% chance of me being able to compete, I would yeah. want to take it. And it's just so honest. I love that. And the other phrase that gets similar that gets used a lot by different players, a lot of them compare it to addiction. Repeatedly, yes. it comes up during yes. the show. People they're addicted to sort of yes. the chant, the winning feeling, and going for that. And they know that it's harmful for them in some ways, you know, for their mental health and everything else and their sanity. I guess you know to be on the road constantly fighting for this thing, but the feeling of winning is so good that they just are constantly chasing that high. And I yes. thought that part was powerful, which again goes to the darkness of the show. And I think, yeah, for people who haven't read the darker or experienced the darker sides of tennis stuff, which I would include, you know, like Andre Agassi's book or lots of different other parts of tennis at this point that have oh. gotten into that side of things. I think if if that if you've only ever gotten the network sort of cable coverage, they don't do the dark stuff. So if the dark if the dark stuff is new to you, I think it'll hit. And I will say, I I'm more appreciative of the show actually having talked to you about it now than I was on first watch. On first watch, but now, like now that we're talking about some of the themes, it resonates with me a little bit more than it did, uh, even watching. So maybe that, it was that, the same with me when I was writing it. it. it like my, maybe some people are going to read my review and feel that it's very negative, but only in the top half is. And and I'm not even saying negative. I'm just pointing out what could have been better. But the second ha- half of my piece, I'm all, I'm talking about like the the good things about it, and. And I'm actually curious if people who follow other sports watch this, I would want to know, or even athletes from other sports when they watch this, I'm curious to know if some of these themes are just common across all sports or if they can identify that tennis is uniquely taxing because it's 11 months on the road and it's every single week. And, and, and it's, there is no other sport that operates this way. And I'm just curious if other athletes, if they watch this or other sports fans would watch this and identify that uniqueness in tennis. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious too, because I do think that it's one of the unique things with tennis is being just so alone out there and picking up and doing it every week and things like losing streaks and self-doubt and the rankings and having, you know, having every week your ranking goes up or down and the pressure to keep playing even when you want to stop and things like that. There's a lot in tennis. You know, I think Courtney does say one of the voiceovers, the you know, phrase we've used before, like it's eat what you kill. Yeah. In, in tennis like you have to constantly be hunting out there or you'll you'll starve and it's a tough it's a tough machine to get out of and so i do think they show like the machine part of the sport well like the, the for me it was lacking generally and i'm trying to wrap up here i keep talking <laughs> with sort of character development stuff i feel like i didn't get i feel like viewers will not get a great impress will not be like invested in these people necessarily after leaving like i don't know that someone would become like oh now i'm a taylor fritz fan or now i'm a you know insert name fan i don't know that's going to happen so much but, and maybe um, yes, who knows? Like I think maybe, that there yes. are little nuggets. Yeah, like for me, maybe someone's gonna watch and be like, "Oh my gosh, Taylor Fritz is a badass!" Like, look what he did. Like he stuck to his yeah. guns and da da da. You know, like and it paid off and he won. And maybe who knows? Maybe someone maybe. is gonna look at Onsa and her husband and be like, "Oh, I love that couple. I'm obsessed." Like, because like that scene where Karim is uh, Onsa's husband is asking her about babies. Like he knows how much she wants that baby, and he's asking her, "Tell me about babies." And Ons is like, I have to sacrifice now. Like, I have to wait. Yeah, he's like self-producing. It's actually he does a really good job getting he's the best so of Oz in that scene. <laughs> he's like, like, you just be a producer for the show, bro. <laughs> so, like, these are things you never know. Like, maybe someone's going to watch this. Or someone, some Arab woman is going to watch this and going to be like, I love that couple. Like, look how supportive he is. Look how cool he is. Like, yeah. He, yeah. he approved his life and is following her everywhere. And it's amazing. Like, so there's so many things that I don't know how people are going to react to. I just definitely think people should watch. The other thing, and not having people react, I was almost wishing it's not how screeners work, but I was like, I want someone, a friend who's like not a tennis fan to watch this for me and tell me how they feel. Because I just, like, again, like we started with, I feel like we're too close in some way uh, to be rendering the verdict. So it's not for us. Um, but Reem, thank you for, for, for being for us for this hour of talking about it. And uh, we'll let you go and enjoy 
uh, some rest at home and Australia from afar. And we will be back with you guys with a draw show eventually. So look forward to that. Thanks again, Reem. Thank you. Bye.